Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Sobral. Racism has become one of the biggest issues sport has had to face in recent times, but how successful have some of the initiatives to overcome racial discrimination in sport been? In this episode, we're going to look at how effective one initiative in NFL has been in addressing racism in that sport. And joining us to discuss this is someone who's published regularly on justice in sport, as well as managerial impact on sport performance. He's Associate Professor of Sports Studies at the University of Akron. It's Matthew Jurovich. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, good morning. Uh, actually, it's good morning my time here in beautiful Northeast Ohio, where we're getting bombarded with snow right now. But yes, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to have you on. I hope uh, you're staying safe in the snow and, and warm as well. Matthew and co-author Stephen Salaga recently published National Football League Head Coach Race, Performance, Retention and Dismissal. We see so many different initiatives to try and combat racism in sport. And of course, the NFL has had plenty of issues in that regard, And but it's also brought in some initiatives. How does this research help us understand what's happening in sport and racism more broadly? Going way back to the beginning when we kind of came up with the idea for this paper, it's been pretty well publicized, the the Rooney Rule, which was um, implemented back in 2003 by the NFL. And it was really just a soft affirmative action measure to uh, incentivize or to, to, to essentially force teams to interview at least one minority head coaching candidate when they were doing open searches. And obviously over the past almost 20 years now, uh, there's been a lot of certainly popular press publicity, as well as a fair amount of academic research on looking specifically at, you know, the Rooney rule, its inception in the NFL, and and has it actually made a positive impact on minority hiring in this context. So um, in the context of the NFL and the NBA specifically, the, the NFL has the most popular initiative, which was implemented in 2003, as I said, the Rooney rule. The NBA and the NFL, I think, in the in the context of North American professional sport, uh, certainly have the highest percentages of black athletes. Um, but then you look at the percentages of head coaches and other executive managers, and the uh, the representation does not follow through. There's a, a huge um, gap between the number of black athletes as compared to those who are occupying head coaching or executive manager roles. So. The Rooney Rule specifically in the NFL um, has generated a a lot of um, attention both in the popular press as well as starting now really in the last 10 years or so in the academic literature. Um, But the academic research for the most part is really focused on is there discrimination on the hiring side? So we have this rule in place, this soft affirmative action policy, um, which, you know, forces teams to interview a minority candidate, but is there still uh, discrimination at play on the hiring side of the coin, so to speak, um, with respect to still the lack of uh, diverse head coaches, head coaches in the NFL. So we had looked at some of the extant research uh, in that area specifically, and then we kind of thought broader about kind of the other side of the coin, so to speak, which is to look on sort of the back end. So not so much are, is there discrimination or evidence of discrimination with respect to Um, head coach hiring, but for those black or minority coaches that do get hired into the head coaching role, is there evidence of discrimination on the back end, meaning are employment tenures or managerial tenures differing by race, right? So, you know, if you're a black head coach, you're hired, how is ownership viewing your tenure? And are you being evaluated on anything other than raw or relative performance? And then subsequently, is that shaping or impacting your tenure differently than if you were a white head coach. 
the Rooney Rule, as I said, has been has been highly scrutinized and and hotly discussed in, in really all forms of media uh, as well as in the academic world. So we we took a little bit different approach uh, in terms of looking kind of at that that other side of the coin in terms of you know are there differences in employment tenures by race among NFL head coaches. And what made you think of that? What, why do you think that was important to look at that, that other end? Like you, like you say, you, instead of looking at, was there discrimination at the beginning? We're looking more at, the, is there discrimination during their tenure and, and to, perhaps towards the end? To go back to the original thought at that moment in time, I can't say specifically what that was, but I think, you know, uh, when, when Dr. Salaga and I uh, were talking about this in the early stages, you know, as academics, as you are well aware, we're always trying to find a, a gap in the rec- a gap in the literature where we can make a unique contribution. And so he and I both like to, obviously, we live in the sport management world, but we also, if we can, we'd like to find sort of a, a contribution that might be impactful in the broader literature in this place on, you know, sort of managerial employment um, and discrimination in general. For us, I mean, going back to the beginning, it was it was more about like nobody had looked at tenure and if there's discrimination on the backside of these employment spells. So that was, that was really the, the rat, the justification behind why the study turned into what it did. And also like the, the Rooney rule, as you, as you mentioned, just for those outside the United States, why was it so important and, and why is it actually an, an important initiative to investigate? Well, I think the Rooney rule, I mean, going back to its inception, I think the intention was good. Um, and I, I think, but I think that when it was implemented, I think there was some sort of presumption, I, you know, at the time that, just because uh, there was now a requirement that teams interview a minority candidate, that that was somehow going to automatically lead to more minority, uh, minority candidates being hired. Um, I will say, you know, a lot of the, the, the data that we, we looked at for this paper, one of the things that came out specific to that is that, you know, our data set for this particular study goes back to 1985. So we've got, you know, essentially 33 years of data. But if you look at our data, before the Rooney Rule implementation, which, as I said, was in 2003, um, 72% of the minority head coaches during that 33-year range actually had been hired post-Rooney Rule implementation. So, I mean, you can, you can certainly argue that, obviously, the, the number has gone up, um, but certainly in the context of what I mentioned at the outset, which is, if you look at the number of Black players percentage, which is, you know, approximately 70% of NFL players are Black, there's still a huge discrepancy between that number and the actual number of, of head coaches. In our, in our data, I mean, I think we had over 33 years of data, we had 208 permanent head coaching spells identified. And out of those 208 spells, only 29 of them, which is about 14%, were actually occupied by minority head coaches. To me, it seems like there's so many different ways you can you can measure this uh, wins. You know, Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh Steelers coach, who's a black coach, has won a Super Bowl. Therefore, it's worked. Um, you could you could try and argue that point. Um, how did you decide how you were going to actually measure this? How you're going to to investigate this this issue? When you're looking at employment spell, so if you look at some of the the extant research on. Uh, managerial tenure, for example, in, in a general sense that's out there. Um, there's a modeling approach that is relatively straightforward, but it, it helps us get to directly measuring time to failure. And so in this case, failure would be the termination of one's tenure as a head coach. So um, we used what's called Cox proportional hazard modeling, but essentially it's, it's a relatively um, straightforward application to look at 
tenure in the context in which we've defined it in the NFL from the head coach's perspective, but also in the context of controlling for both raw performance and relative performance. So the coaches that comprise our sample, we have data on obviously their, their performance and by their performance, we're talking team performance specifically in, in terms of how we quantified it. But this modeling allowed us to look at time to failure um, in the context of performance differences and a number of other independent and control variables that would, you know, kind of sort of speak to differences at the coach level, at the organization level, and even within the market um, that a given team might compete in geographically. So in that sense, you're kind of saying like, if someone goes to the Cleveland Browns a few years ago, like Bill Belichick did many years ago, it might take some time for them to actually fulfill their, their potential. And it might be different at somewhere like the New England Patriots now, or, or even Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Is that the kind of thing you, you were trying to account for in that respect? Yeah, I mean, certainly that kind of theory, I guess, or mindset, um, which I think anyone who follows the NFL, it's sort of a casual observation, but there's definitely credence to it. Certainly um, informed, you know, the the way that we formed the um, sort of quantitative approach for this paper. Basically, we took all these factors relative to the individual coaches who comprise our sample and analyze them in the context of the uh, outcome of interest, which was the the tenure uh, of those individuals once they achieved the position of head coach. You used this equation and you measured, like you said, uh, coaching performance from 1985 to, to 2018. What did you find? What were the results once you, uh, once you analyzed the data? The big one is, and this is, I, I want to preface this by saying that this work does not in any way, shape or form prove that discrimination does not exist in the NFL head coaching labor market. But, you know, as a follow-up to that, the interesting, I think the most interesting, and I think Dr. Salaga would agree, finding from the paper is that we found, you know, both positive and significant effect for minority status on managerial employment spell length. So in other words, black head coaches um, have tenures, which are longer at a statistically significant level than their white counterparts in the NFL. So what we would say is that, you know, once coaches are hired, right, because again, we're looking at the post hiring side of the coin here, uh, we did not uncover any evidence to suggest that these minority coaches have been systematically uh, disadvantaged or discriminated against once they were actually hired into head coaching positions. So that, that's the big takeaway, I think. Um, the, other, the other pieces here which I think really makes sense if you take a step back, but, but the outcomes we measure, you know, with our empirical modeling really point to the fact that hiring and firing in the NFL, at least now towards the end of our data range, really driven by both raw and relative performance. And so I don't think that's a surprising finding necessarily, but if you look at the, the, the value of the NFL, the valuations of the individual organizations that comprise the league, and you look at ownership or ownership groups that essentially run these organizations, it shouldn't really be surprising to anybody that, that we found and sort of empirically found, uh, empirically proved that both raw and relative performance um, are driving, you know, these decisions in terms of owners and who they, who they hire, who they fire, and when they fire these head coaches. And I think that makes sense because, you know, at the end of the day, ownership is incentivized to hire the best possible candidate. You know, essentially our work provided additional support to that idea, which I don't think is really a novel finding, but, you know, given our empirical modeling and our very robust data set, 
you know, certainly our claims are strong in that respect. Um, but I would say that, you know, that's, that's a big takeaway along with the fact that um, minority head coaches um, have longer employment tenure spells uh, once hired than uh, white head coaches do in our sample. And how does this advance our uh, understanding more broadly of the issues of the theory, uh, particularly in regards to executive diversity and firm outcomes? You know, there's a pretty well-known, you know, in sort of the management literature in general, there's a lot of empirical work done to sort of support the idea that a more diverse, you know, managerial team is going to lead to more positive outcomes, pretty much any way you can measure them. So in a sense, but we haven't necessarily addressed that specifically with with our empirical modeling here. But I think it does, if you sort of take the findings from our paper and extend them into future opportunities, I think one of the things that this paper does is perhaps provide a bridge to some future work that could look at um, racial composition of, you know, kind of the whole management team. So from ownership on down to the general manager and other decision makers, and then considering that in the context of the head coach himself in the NFL specifically, um, I think there's some opportunity there to, to, to get a better understanding of the managerial hierarchy in the NFL and how uh, sort of what the, the racial composition of that looks like and what impact, if any, discrimination may have had over the past several decades on how that's been formalized to this point in time in 2021. And I think another opportunity from this, and, and I think, you know, the idea here was really to take this and frame the findings in such a way that a contribution could be made for someone else, maybe us, maybe another scholar or a group of scholars down the road, is really respect to the, the employment life cycle. And so there's a lot of work on the employment life cycle in, in sort of general sense, but in the context of North American professional sport, we consider that with head coaches, I think a lot of people kind of look at and, and observe and, and theorize on, you know, when a head coach gets fired, some head coaches seem to get second and third and fourth and fifth chances, even though their performance might be consistently mediocre. Whereas others, for whatever reason, we scratch our heads and wonder why that particular individual never got rehired in another head coaching role. So there's an opportunity um, using this work and some other stuff that's been done in the last five years or so, looking at discrimination in the NFL specifically with respect to head coaches to, to understand uh, a little bit more about you know some of the um, potential factors that could be influencing why, like I said, some of these individuals get second and third chances, whereas others who seemingly should never do. Matt, just lastly, I, I want to ask you, let's say you, you were made consultants of your favorite NFL team. How would you advise them in this area when they're looking for coaches, when, more so when, when they have a, a coach uh, in tenure? What would be your advice to them? And this is not really groundbreaking in any way, I don't think, in the context of the NFL, because everybody's running a highly intelligent organizational, you know, sort of approach in this day and age, for the most part, I would say. I think, obviously, diversity, which we know can be measured in many different ways, generally speaking, a more diverse managerial team is is going to be set up to be more successful in pretty much any context. You know, it's a results-driven business, um, the NFL. Um, so I don't think that there are many, if any, organizations who are not just focused on trying to find the best possible candidate that can lead that team to the most immediate success um, in compared to you know, in comparison to their peers. So my advice really would just be make sure you understand the full picture. You know, don't discount candidates based on previous failures without really understanding all the factors that might have contributed to that failure. Be, be you know, be novel, be innovative. It's interesting because you see 
just in the last couple of years in the NFL, there's this sort of trend towards hiring, you know, sort of this new age of very young head coaches who don't have previous, you know, head coaching experience at the professional level. But I think there's this mindset that these younger coaches are more innovative, more novel, think outside the box, maybe more willing to kind of go against the norms in some ways probably can relate to their players better. I mean, if you have a head coach who's the same age um, or in some cases even younger than some of the veteran players on a given roster, I think there definitely is some, some value to, you know, the relationship side of things and the potential value that you could derive from having that individual in that position. You know, I think, I think these organizations are getting smarter all the time, but I still think that performance in our work really proves it. Performance um, is what's driving these decisions by and large. Um, as I said, though, you know, our work does definitely not does not prove that discrimination does not exist. But we will say and I'll kind of close by saying that if discrimination does exist, it's likely to still be focused on the point of positional entry. And so I didn't really talk about that. But there's a fair amount of work looking at, you know, sort of when young men start playing football at early ages, Pop Warner and youth, etc. And so there's, you know, these notions out there that, you know, kids um, based on racial background versus based on other demographics might be sort of pigeonholed into certain positions. So running back, quarterback, wide receiver, et cetera. And there is a fair amount of data out there now to support that candidates, uh, head coaches um, who have backgrounds playing certain positions and then subsequently coaching in those positions as they sort of move up the hierarchy. There, there is, and there can be a, an impact, you know, of that on the likelihood of a head coach getting hired ultimately. So I think, you know, like the league itself, I mean, there's, there's pipeline issues that people talk about and point to, um, but I think it might even extend further down the chain than that in the sense that if we're really going to best position minority candidates to be future head coaches, there's strong data to support that, you know, certain positions played and then coached by individuals who become head coaches are more likely to, to, to get into that role and hold that role versus others that play different positions. So I know that's a hard thing to try to wrap your arms around. I mean, if you're a you know, youth football coach and you have a exceptional athlete, I mean, typically you're trying to put the best athletes you have in the positions where they can be most impactful. So it's not like youth football is going to change where coaches are then going to consider um, you know, what positions they put specific young men into in terms of trying to help their candidacy to ultimately be a head coach down the road. But, but it's, I think it's a, it's a much broader discussion with much wider ranging um, considerations in terms of trying to be able to really impact this pipeline, you know, to address the problem, which is still the, the severe lack of representation of minorities at the head coaching level in the NFL. Matthew, I think that's a really good advice for uh, sport organizations everywhere. I would say not just in the NFL as well. Uh, thanks so much for talking. That's really, really interesting research. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Vitor. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. At the Sport Management Review website, you'll find all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, National Football League Head Coach Race, Performance, Retention and Dismissal from Volume 23, Issue 5. That's it for this episode, but take a look. There's plenty more you can download to your favorite podcast player. Until then, it's bye for now.